This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. from the cigarette at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area. It's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 654 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, your head number one, and president of the Ma Hunkle Red Tornado Fan Club. And my name is Matt Baum, your head number two, and disgraced ex-president of the Yancey Street Gang Nebraska chapter. It's strange, because <laughs> Nebraska doesn't have a Yancey Street. No, it doesn't, but we had a chapter, and I don't want to yeah. go into it, but I had to give back my patch and my vest and everything, and it, it was bad. It was just bad. We'll say that. It's time for yet another Cosmic Longbox episode where our sentient Longbox forces us to discuss comics based on a theme. And with President's Day coming next week, this one was right in time. Finally, we'll head to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week's comics. But before we can get started, we need to unveil our theme. And then it's back issue review time in the ziggurat. This time, our Cosmic Longbox theme is celebrating President's Day and forcing us to review classic comics starring presidents both real and fictional. Joe, let's agree to keep the political discourse to a minimum, as no one is here to listen to us discuss inflation, but I bet they'd love to hear about that time Lex Luthor got elected and what happened when Dr. Doom forcibly took the White House. The listeners have voted, Joey, and you get to start us off, Mr. President. All right. We begin with Captain America 175 from Marvel Comics. The year was 1974. The writer, Steve Englehart. The artist, Sal Buscema. The cover price, a mere 25 cents. Uh, here is a bit of background. Uh, Captain America has been publicly discredited by a smear campaign organized by the Committee to Regain America's Principles, or CRAP. <laughs> but it was all a ploy executed by the Secret Empire who also replaced Cap in the hearts and minds of the people with a quote-unquote hero of their own creation. Finally captured and left for dead, Cap rallies with Falcon, the X-Men, and two old friends to finally take down the Empire once and for all. But at what cost? It seems to me that, like, for a guy that America loves more than any other patriot in the world, it literally takes, like, two lines from a villain for him to be like, yeah, screw Captain America. I mean, kind <laughs> of, yeah. It's true. And it happens all the time. I'm going to discuss it later, too. <laughs> <laughs> How does this issue tie in with our theme this week? Well, there's no way to tell you without spoiling it, but it's one of the most famous and formative storylines in the character's history. So here we go. In the final moments of this issue, Cap catches up with the leader of the Secret Empire, the Enigmatic Number One, inside the White House, where it is revealed, more or less, that Number One is none other than the President of the United States, Richard Milhouse Nixon. <laughs> yep, he was a bad well, guy. <laughs> well, Nixon isn't uh, actually shown or named. The implication is obvious. Nixon was president at the time. Despite Marvel trying to cover their asses by explaining that the lengthy storyline started before the Watergate scandal broke, which is true, writer Steve Englehart has very frankly stated that the arc was influenced by political corruption and that number one is Nixon without question. Uh, Nixon also mentions Watergate in this comic. 
So. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> like comes right out and it's like, oh, the truth will never get out about this. Not like Watergate. <laughs> well, something like that. That's not exactly what it says, but yeah. In 1974, this was the most shocking turn of events to ever happen to Captain America. It rocked Steve Rogers to his core and made him doubt his allegiance to the United States, leading him to quit the cap gig and briefly take up the identity of nomad man without a country. Looking back at it now, it's almost quaint in comparison to some of the stories we get today in tone and in execution with its almost soul pain levels of melodrama. But it's a story that changed the character forever. Uh, This is some of the earliest penciling work I've seen from Sal Buscema, uh, but it is pretty great. And I had a ton of fun seeing some of the flair that would become a hallmark of his later work. Specifically, nobody draws a powerhouse backhand punch like Sal, like a full-on swing from front to back (laughs) so hard that your entire body twists around. Right, like cowboy punch that starts at the floor. You know? Yeah, classic classic (laughs) Sal. Captain America 175 helps shape the modern version of the character that we all love today, a symbol of the American ideal, not the political body. Plus, it's a fun superhero romp in the classic Bronze Age style. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I love Englehart just taking a shot. At a sitting president oh, yeah. in a Captain America comic. It's so perfect. I love it. Now, there was so much exposition here. Like when Gabe yes. t- shows up to save Cap when he's got Peggy with him. I got a question about Peggy in a second here. And they both take their hoods off. And he's like, Gabe, Peggy, you're here. And they're like, yeah. Now, here's the full story of how we got here, and it started in 1966, by the way, when I did some stuff to the Secret Empire the first time, and there's even a scene where they're like, and here's the unseen victory of Gabe. Right, (laughs) yeah, like that. the story story had never actually been told. It was just like, and here's how Gabe did this thing. And he's like, he goes on and on and on. And Peggy's like, so Cap, we got He's like, hold on, Peggy, two more things. And then he like lays out more. It's true, yeah. And Peggy's super excited to see Cap, right? And she leans over to kiss him and he's like, oh yeah, we'll do that in a little bit. And he has this thought bubble where he goes, how am I supposed to tell her that I'm heavy into her sister, Sharon Counter? Is that uh, always been like a, a older sister, younger sister thing? And they switched later? They retconned it, yeah. So okay. they, they retconned it uh, later on so that – well, c- the thing with Peggy Carter is that Peggy Peggy had to stay cemented in World War II. Right. Because that's where they met. Okay. And so as as the timeline slid forward, they were like, okay, well, then Sharon's not her sister. She's her niece. Makes sense. All right. I, I'd never read Cap this far back, honestly. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't no, know. originally it was her younger sister. But, like, even if you look at this art, like, Peggy looks older. Right. Like, she's got, you know, oh, some yeah. wrinkles in her face. And she's got, like, a gray streak of hair and stuff. She's an old lady. You can tell. Right. But, I mean, so, but, so, she, but she's only also, like... So it let, like let's just say she's four at a at a minimum she was twenty when right. World War Two went on or twenty five. So she's like this is, she's forty five. Yeah, fifty. Yeah, mid fifties. So so okay. this would be thirty years later. I, I um, love the Secret Empire, but I do think like it's a brave choice to have a bunch of bad guys. I'll have numbers for their names because they're, they're like, just numbers. Yeah, number fourteen. He was doing this, and then when number twenty eight came in, we were like, oh no! But number sixty four turned out to be number sixty seven, who was actually me. <laughs> you know, like, Right. Okay, <laughs> I got it. Well, and, and the hilarious thing is, is that only like, like, only some of them have the numbers on their cowls. Yeah, like the one, like the ones above ten, they 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 didn't have any numbers on. Them. Right. 
And uh, well, no, Gabe does. He's got a number in his. It was like sixty-seven. Oh, okay, I must. And have that was the it. thing. He's like, that's how I figured out how to infiltrate them. And I was like, you put on a hood with a number on it, Gabe. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's how you got I, it. <laughs> my my favorite part of that whole reveal, and I understand that this is comic books, but my favorite part of that that whole reveal is when you see Gabe in disguise as number sixty-seven. Yeah, uh, you can very clearly see the skin behind his eye holes is white <laughs> and then he takes off his mask and reveals a beautiful black man. well it'd be cool if he would like painted white circles around his eyes yeah like, that's not what happened fool you white motherfuckers <laughs> yeah, yeah you know <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean yeah it was very it was a very black clansman you know situation because yeah. the secret empire is an offshoot of hydra oh yeah they're bad news. Uh, and they're, they're also an offshoot of the serpent society maybe because like no. cobras or vipers in here later but it's the old viper not the new one who we're going to talk about later that's a different character. Okay. Yeah, no, not the not the not one the that singer. started this. Okay. But I was gonna say nothing to do with the serpents. There's a, they also have a flying saucer, and we'll talk about another flying saucer later. So. It's <laughs> yeah, it's the go-to move for your secret societies, I guess. Yeah, this will buy it. It's it's tons of fun. I love Moonstone's whole plan where he's like, I'm yeah. the good guy now. And everyone's like, Yeah, Moonstone, we like him. And he shows up to fight like their main bad guy, number two, who doesn't wear a hood, but he has a big iron helmet, and he like yeah. takes one. One shot at him and number two just like sit down and it's over <laughs> <laughs> right and then he's like come with me into my spaceship yeah. while we discuss the terms the of your news, surrender the news like, is all out there and he comes out and he's like it's over guys we lost yeah sorry I, do. I can't we can't win sorry trust Lay me on this one america i would love to, to give you better news but uh take it from me moonstone <laughs> yeah. uh, we but then, lost like, secretly <laughs> secretly inside the ship they're like literally high-fiving each other right 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 like yeah that was a great now, fake out moonstone would later be a female character too this is like the original moonstone right yeah the uh i i believe uh i didn't look this up but the story of the second moonstone is that she ta- is that she acquires the moonstone right that gives her her powers from the person that had it before which so, is a rock that i'm guessing her fly that this guy and punch people really hard uh she's got you know moon blasts super oh. strength oh all right moon yeah blasts. moon yeah no moonstone's got like energy powers flight strength okay the whole the whole complement of generic superpowers. Well, it's a buy it, and I just I love them taking a shot at Richard Nixon while he's in so bold. Office. So bold. That's <laughs> great. Yeah. I want the people to know that they still have two out of three branches of the government working for them, and that ain't bad. You know what, Joe? Maybe Richard Nixon's problem was he was just an old man who doesn't know what the kids want. And I'll tell you who did. Joe Simon, when he gave us Prez, volume one, number one in D.C. from 1978, written by Joe Simon, with art by Jerry Grandinetti. This is the story of the most powerful man on Earth. He's not a superhero, but a teenager that becomes the president of the United States. It's not a true story. Not yet. But someday it may happen, and the history books of the future may read like the story of Prez. That is how Simon starts his origin story of Prez Ricard, leader of the local stock car club where he routinely wins races in his car, Lollipop. I can't think of a tougher name for a muscle car. Yeah, Can you? that's how you know he's a real badass. <laughs> I mean, he could have gone with Cupcake, but I guess that was taken. Prez lives in a town called Steadfast. It has a lot of clocks, and all of them are slightly off, because I guess that constitutes as funny in 1973. Prez attracts the attention of Boss Smiley, who has a perfectly round head and classic smiley face, 
just like you would see on those round yellow smiley stickers. Sick of youth protesting his polluting of Slum City, Smiley decides to use Prez to get the youth vote after Prez fixes all the clocks in Steadfast. Now, not sets, but he fixes them because they were broken. I guess. There's even a scene where they're like, Prez finishes his race. He's like, what was my time? And one guy's like, five minutes and 40 seconds. And the guy's like, six minutes and 19 seconds. And it's like, that's not even how clocks work. Okay, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention, recently laws had changed and now 18-year-olds can run for any office. So they set Prez up to run for Senator of the United States. You heard that right. Senator mm-hmm. of the United States. Also, no mention of why the laws were changed. It just happened. There you go. Prez discovers that Boss Miley is corrupt after he follows a shirtless Native American named Eagle Free back to his cave where he lives and studies animals of the forest. You know, forest animals like bears, deers, cheetahs, gorillas, and elephants. <laughs> After Prez makes some problematic, racially Zebras. driven statements. Chimpanzees are there. They've oh, got some yeah. chimpanzees up in there. After yeah. Prez makes some problematic, racially driven statements, Eagle agrees to train him to gain animal skills so they can break into Boss Smiley's office and expose his corruption. After that, the youth of the nation say, F*** this senator bullshit, Prez. You're the new president of the United States. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about this crap, other than it seemed like a bizarre fever dream Joe Simon had during an ayahuasca ceremony. Grandinetti's art is really great, but the plot is just insane, and it can't even seem to keep up with its own logic. Why are there gorillas and elephants living in the forest with a shirtless Native American? Why was Prez running for Senator of the United States? What does that even mean? And how the hell did he end up president? And what the hell is wrong with Boss Smiley's head? I don't know if this falls into so bad it's good territory, or this is the product of a mental break. I read a Comics Journal interview with Simon where he said that Prez was basically a desperation play because nothing was selling at DC in the early 70s. Even Kirby's books were bombing at the time. They had a joke in the office where they would say, want to end the war? Have DC publish it. Carmine Infantino was the EIC at the time and would cancel Prez with issue four due to poor sales. But the character would continue to pop up, even making appearances in Neil Gaiman's Sandman, along with Boss Smiley. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have to give this a leave it because it is. First of all, it's there's some problematic racial shit going on in here. It's not even a clever idea. But it might be a buy it just because it's a miracle that it even hits stands. You know what I mean? Oh, in the next issue, we find out that his version of Air Force One is called the freebie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so I don't think it's fair to give this a leave it. Um, I mean, I understand. I get it. But it is clearly some form of satirical protest or something is it though yeah yeah, because like look boss smiley with the smiley face head like that that this is some howard the duck level shit where it's like yeah dr bong (laughs) he's dr bong get it Uh, it's surrealist almost and you know like prez's whole thing is like he makes the clocks run on time you get it you know just like that one guy i don't not get Uh, it but it's just so Weird. In, no, I get. In, I understand. I know. I know where you're coming from. But I think we are also very removed from the culture 
in which this was published. Mm. That maybe, maybe. Mm. Well, what year did this come out? 1978? Yeah. 77? This was, this is in the same year he put out the Brother Geek, the whatever comic. Oh, Brother Power the Geek. Brother yeah. Power the Geek, which was, according to him, a full on drug fueled, like, romp <laughs> it's like drugs, drugs joe drugs, simon right? said that yeah not wow. him on drugs he wanted to write about drug culture in the youth oh oh and yes, that's how sure, he did sure. it so i think this yeah, is just I mean, him trying to connect to this late 70s hippie kind of like whatever yeah i but mean nobody I, bought it in the 70s they're like this is crap <laughs> Oh, 1973 is when number one came out. So we got we got our dates mixed up somewhere. Oh, I said 70. I said 78 in the beginning. Sorry. You said 78. Yeah. Um, so 1973. So, again, this is the tail end of the Nixon presidency. Sure. You know, or the Vietnam or getting out of Vietnam. All this all this shit is happening in America. And uh, like, I get it. Like Joe Simon. I don't know anything about Joe Simon. Uh, on a personal level i know he wasn't a hippie but in 1973 <laughs> the guy is you know he's he's 40 he's 30 years past the creation of captain america right he's not smoking and doobies and listening he's to not fog a hat in his van chicken, all right, right. <laughs> um and like he may have been a liberal you know like i don't i don't know these things about him but um this this does it feels too much like some sort of satirical metaphor right for it to be uh, like taken at face value. So there like I can't take anything that's weird about this as as what's actually happening. Like clearly this man does not have a perfectly round smiley face. That's not how human beings work. Um but a character yeah, in the book mentions it more okay, than once. Yeah, all right, fine. But I mean <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> but this but then but even so then that I this is clearly some sort of surrealist take, a surrealist world. I get it. All I'm saying is it and didn't sell in the 70s either. I and look, I, I yeah, no, I know. Um I I I can't give it a leave it. I have to give it a skim it because it's a shot at something. It's a shot at something. I agree. And um it's not bad it's just strange it's very strange yeah it was like let's um, sell comics to the hippies does anyone know what a hippie is like and joe simon's like i, I think i might yes i have met hippies <laughs> right yeah. uh it, yeah i mean it, yeah like this this is you know this is the steve buscemi how do you do fellow kids gif mm -hmm. uh from 30 rock yeah. but maybe but uh yeah it, it's clearly some sort of gonzo experiment some social commentary i don't know if it's relatable to people from the time i don't know if it's uh relevant to what was happening i i don't know any of that stuff but um the art is great i agree the art <laughs> I, is very good i've I, never heard of this guy before i do Brandon think Eddie. if it was relevant at the time it isn't canceled after four issues and Carmen Infantino doesn't say this is trash. <laughs> well, I mean, we're not going to take Carmen Infantino's word for it. But, sure. I mean, uh, he was a jerk, but he was also in charge of making money. Right. But he's not the one everybody hated. That was. Uh, no, I mean, it was a different guy. They say but, like Infantino was a jerk, but he's a professional and we liked him and he made us do our thing. You <laughs> sure. Know? Um, yeah, I, this is a skim it. It's a skim it. Um, it's something you got to judge for yourself. It, it, it's not poorly executed. It's just so bizarre yeah. that I don't even know how else to, I don't know how to judge it by this, by objective standards because it's just too weird. Listen to me. You know who I am. I'm the president of the United States. Yes! We're going to keep it in the seventies, but we're also going to throw it back to a time that Joe Simon probably was living it up a little bit more as a teen. Yeah. I bet he could connect better to this. Time. <laughs> it's DC special number 29. This was from DC comics. The year was 1977. 
Uh, it's written by Paul Levitz with art by Joe Staten and Bob Layton. Staten and Layton. The cover price is 60 cents, uh, which seems expensive for the time, but it, it felt thick. I think it's thick. Staten and Layton sound like they show up after you've been injured wrongly by a garbage truck or something. Right, know? yeah. If you have are you been if, injured like, by you, a garbage truck, like they do specific garbage if truck. You, if you... <laughs> here is your background. America, 1940. The nation had yet to officially join the war, but Hitler's Operation Sea Lion was pushing forward in Europe with an invasion of England imminent to aid his British allies. President Franklin D. Roosevelt instructs a visiting MI5 agent to assemble a cadre of mystery men to shut Hitler down. Unfortunately, Hitler's possession of the mythical spear of destiny means that the task is easier said than done. We find ourselves on Earth 2 in the pre-crisis DC multiverse, which for some reason caused MapBomb a great deal of it blew grief. My, it blew my head off. I, I see, don't understand. It's I, Earth 2. I What's get the, it. What is the question? I forgot that I've never read DC Comics this old. I just haven't, other than like maybe Silver or Golden Age stuff. I get, all right. And this well, is in I that I, weird place where the Justice Society existed, but they weren't on our Earth. But Batman was there. <laughs> and I was just like, well, but Earth what? 2 Batman. It's the Earth 2 Batman I, I, and the I, Earth 2 Superman. I will full on admit I did not know there was an Earth 2 Batman or Superman. But you've read Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. But I just so you know that there's an Earth 2 Superman. I mean, I guess I didn't know there was an Earth 2 Superman. I didn't know there was an Earth 2 Batman. Why would there be one and not the other, man? Why would there be an Earth 2, Joe? Come on. <laughs> because Look, man. Uh. I don't know. You'll have to ask Gardner Fox. I didn't create the thing. Uh, all right. So here we are. Earth 2. It's the pre-crisis DC universe, which means that we're dealing with alternate versions of Superman and Batman, along with the heroes that we traditionally associate with the Justice Society of America. So at this point in time in DC Comics, um, they had been telling modern day Earth 2 stories. So the JSA were older. And they had their own legacy uh, characters like Power Girl and Huntress right. and uh, and uh, those guys. Uh, Star Spangled Kid. The Joker's but, daughter. <laughs> right. <laughs> but this story flashes back to the history of the formation of the Justice Society of America, which had never been told prior to this issue. Writer Paul Levitz used a real-life military operation to finally tell the tale. Operation Sea Lion was a real German offensive during World War II that included a planned invasion of Great Britain that was abandoned in 1940, and now we know why. FDR sent the JSA overseas to kick a little ass. Sure. Uh, well, yeah, at least a few members of the JSA. But when the Nazi forces overwhelm Batman, Green Lantern, and The Flash... Dr. Fate steps in and literally drags the rest of the team all the way across the Atlantic to Berlin with magical tentacles. It's like you couldn't just teleport them, guy. You had to like literally pull their physical bodies. They, he was working 10, with what miles. he had at the time, Joe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have no idea how far um, Berlin is. It's from, not 10,000 uh, miles. It, but it's more than 3,000. Uh, well, I mean, it's probably about a six-hour plane ride, if that helps you out. Yeah. Six or seven hours. So. <laughs> uh, it's all very dumb, uh, especially with Hitler front and center as a direct participant in some very dangerous battles. Uh, but I enjoyed it. It becomes very clear very fast that DC had to come up with a reason why the JSA didn't just end the war right after they formed, especially after you see the Spectre take down an entire fleet of battleships all by himself. 
Uh, but that's a story that comes later. We're not worried about that right now. I absolutely loved the art by future legends, Joe Staten and Bob Layton, uh, though it did get real goofy at times, especially with some bizarre facial expressions. Yeah. Like the, I, they didn't do those my, Valkyries any favors. I'll tell no, you. No, they did not. <laughs> uh, I, I, my eyes kept going to one panel specifically of one Valkyrie that was summoned by Hitler with the spear of destiny. Who's got like, she's got eyeballs that are definitely on different planes of her face. Yeah. Uh, it's bad. She looks kind of uh, like a sex doll that was like rapidly put together <laughs> or left out, left out in the sun and got yeah, a little melty. It melted yeah. a little bit. Uh, my favorite part, uh, was the hand drawn title headings that introduced each chapter. Somebody, uh, like hand drew these like really fun, uh, uh, chapter headings that would be like, uh, something about the storming of the beach or battle at sea. And then the letters would be like half submerged in water. It's great. DC Special 29 ends with a fun text piece about Levitt's and company's quest to finally tell the story that had never been told. Did it end up being a very silly story? Sure. Uh, Maybe this is my affection for the JSA talking, but I still kind of loved it. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah. Like it's no, it's no goofier than the, than the uh, Captain America one. I would argue it's not as goofy as the Captain America one, quite honestly. It's a little more well-grounded. There's some history here, which was kind of fun. I don't know why it was so, awkward for me and i am aware of crisis and i'm aware of this earth 2 stuff but this is this time like this late in the 70s i didn't realize that yeah they were still on a different planet and there was other stuff yeah this is just how it worked they were different characters and it just shook me it totally shook me the art is great there's definitely some problems you're not wrong but they drew the hell out of this book and i can only assume that like it was a kind of effort, whereas they're piecing it together, like, we just got to finish. We just got to finish. And so a couple panels got, you know, hammered out, if you yeah, will. <laughs> and it's like, like, so Bob Late, Bob Layton inked Joe Staten's pencils, uh, from what I could tell. Um, and Bob Layton is a great inker. He may not, yeah. he, like, he may have been early in his career at this point in time, but he's a really good inker. And it shows. I think the art is better for him. Uh, for his presence. Well, he'd on go on to be a sure. kick-ass penciler too. I mean, I no, love, it's true. But I like, I've, I, I know him as an inker as well. And, uh, but, but yeah, I, I think combined the art that between the two of them is really great. Right. Yeah. This is wild. And it's the kind of story that could probably only take place in earth too, because there was always a discussion like, well, if Superman's around world war two. Why didn't you just fly over and kill Hitler? Well, yeah. Hitler had the spirit of destiny. It's magic. He probably kill Superman with it. You know, bad news. I, I think the story. I'm trying <laughs> right. to. I'm trying to recall why, and I thought it. I thought it was. I, I'd have to fact check myself, but I, I thought it was because either the the spear like physically kept them out of Germany. If they got too close, the spear would take control of their minds, Ooh. and then Hitler has the JSA. Okay, I can see bad. that because he's controlling the Valkyries, and they're not bad. Yeah, and, and so I, it's. I think it's one or the or or the other and i think it was more like the other one where like if the jsa went into europe to stop Hitler, sure Hitler that makes sense wins. yeah and yeah. It, like you get a hold of superman well bad news yeah, it's bad news <laughs> real bad news right we, we saw what happened in the snyder cut it was terrible news you know <laughs> bad for everybody no, i'm giving it a buy it we're going to survive today we celebrate our independence day Let's check back in with Captain America. We just can't stay away from, I mean, like, there's going to be presidents all over this comic book. So 
what can you do? I'm talking about Captain America number 344 from Marvel. We're jumping to 1988. This was written by Mark Grunewald with art by Kieran Dwyer. The Serpent Society of America strikes again when they think they've poisoned DC's water supply, but... It turns out it was a mutagenic chemical that turns people into mindless snakes. And even President Ronald Reagan isn't safe. Viper, Copperhead, and my personal favorite, Boomslang, didn't seem to know the canisters. Boomslang, yeah. It is a type of snake. It's a real thing. Yep. They didn't seem to know the canisters would have this effect, and they are fighting their way through the city to make their escape in the Serpent Saucer. More. <laughs> this is why I thought, like, oh, maybe they're the same thing. I don't know. But... The Captain and Diamondback, an ex-member of the SS, are there to stop them. Now, at this point, you're saying, Matt, don't you mean Captain America? Get your own podcast. You think you're so damn smart, Mr. Smart Guy, because at this time, Steve was wearing black and calling himself the Captain. John Walker was the acting Captain America with his partner, Battlestar. You may recall them from the recent Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show. Steve, the captain, is partnered with D-Man, Nomad, and Diamondback, who has the hots for Steve. The captain fights his way to the White House, where Reagan has gone full snake in whitey tighties, I might add, and Cap has to wrestle him until he sweats it off. Viper shows up, too, and lets Cap in on her nihilistic plan to create pure anarchy and overthrow the government. Steve, of course, saves the day, captures Viper with the help of Cobra, who normally works with the Serpent Society, but let's just say the Serpent Society was having their own crisis with a lot of infighting at the time. But his partners are all arrested, and the government still wants Steve out of business. Grunewald's cap is just too much fun, and young Kieran Dwyer is probably one of a few artists that could keep up with this much action. There is a lot going on in every issue of this run between the infighting of cobra cap hooking up with a snake terrorist d-man getting poisoned by viper which turns out to be the reason d-man is wandering around catatonic when we talked about another captain america issue when we did the other guys when john walker was cap Mm -hmm. we were like what the hell's wrong with d-man he got bit by viper there you go he's recuperating doesn't really know who he is Nomad, who is Jack Monroe, is here getting his ass kicked, as he normally does. Later on, he'll get killed in the costume. (laughs) And they even have a little dig at Reagan, where we see in the very last page that he still has fangs. This issue was just a classic cap riot, complete with a secondary presidential guest star, FDR. So I'm giving myself bonus points for this one. Buy it. It's a patriotic thing to do. You need to buy this. Yeah, yes. Right. Yeah. No, this is a buy it. Mark Ruinwald's Captain America is bonkers. It's and, great. Uh, it's just like, it's a nonstop, like, vomit of ideas yeah. on the page. <laughs> totally. uh, very much, very much like a comic that I'm going to talk about here in a bit. I, I, I love this era. I love Kieran Dwyer on art. Yeah. Um, I had never read this issue before. Uh, it's, it's again, very silly, like Nancy Reagan as a snake crawling around on all floors. Well, on all it's four. the Serpent Society in our, in our nightgown, who are totally ridiculous. On all floors, all floors in the White House. Oh yeah, and he like he dresses. He's like Nancy, snap out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then we're like Viper just walks right into the White House and is like, "Where's your husband, Nancy Reagan?" Yeah. And then decides not to kill her. She's just like, "No, you're too good to." 
be you're too good for death or whatever. Oh no, she's just like, like eh, you're not a threat, whatever. Or you're not worth it. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, no, you you are a terrorist right. in the White House. You shoot the white first lady. Like she is uh, too evil. CIA. For- I am referring to the story. I am referring to the story <laughs> and not anything. Yeah. Viper is too evil. For the other members of the Serpent oh, Society. Yeah. Oh, you know what? This is actually, this is an ongoing thread yeah. that I remember from me, uh, from some of my earliest Captain America comics as a kid. Actually, the very first appearance of Jack Monroe as Nomad, I had that issue. Nice. Uh, where it's a Mike Zach issue. And um, we, uh, uh, we can all Viper, agree Jack Monroe sucked at his job, right? Uh, I mean. Routinely got his ass kicked and then got killed. He got killed years later yeah. and he wasn't he wasn't nomad anymore. He right. was just a guy in a bar. He got assassinated by the Winter Soldier. This Mike Zek issue, this Captain America issue um, where Constrictor is working for uh, Hydra or whomever, whomever Viper is is running. It is clearly implied that Viper is gross and scary uncomfortably. So like you don't want to be in the room with her. Yeah, gross. this whole time Cobra is like. Yeah, Viper, man, she sucks yeah. so bad. Right? Uh, <laughs> like I will, I will never forget. Like there, there's a there's a panel in that that Cap comic where uh, Viper laughs, uh, and Constrictor is like, somebody walked on his grave. He is so off put by the Viper, like raspy hiss laugh. Oh God! And she's got weird teeth, and Ugh. they just keep going on and on about it. like her plan doesn't even make any sense. Like why would she yeah. even do no. this? Like Viper sucks. This isn't uh, how we take over. And she's like, take over what? I just want to make chaos. And they're like, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, you, Reagan, Reagan wrestling Steve Rogers in his underpants is yeah. a, is a real highlight. Uh, uh, no, this is a buy it. I really like this. Um, but like again, it's full of like weird uh, uh, stuff. That's uh, kind of a time capsule of, of the era. Like Diamondback begins this issue fighting alongside the captain dressed in a uh, jazzercise leotard and leg warmers. Yeah. Or like a one piece swimsuit. I couldn't really tell. Yeah, one one piece swim- <laughs> and then when she decides to finally don the classic pink and black Diamondback outfit, she gets butt ass naked in front of the Serpent Society. Well, I mean, she's working with them. I assume they I all mean, change in the same room, right? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there may be, and like D-Man's laying right there, and like maybe they're knocked out. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun and weird, and the Serpent Society is dumb and weird and fun. Like, I did uh, like there was a comment when D-Man shows up, and he's like, I got to do this. I got to fight this guy. And they don't know who D-Man is. And they're like, what's the deal, Wolverine? Why is there a D on your chest? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but like my favorite, my favorite is um, look up D man. He wears the same helmet. If you don't know what I'm talking about, he's got yeah, the yeah. Helmet. No, he 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 dressed he dresses like a combo of uh, the original Daredevil costume and yeah. Wolverine, Cobra, Boom Slang, and who was the other guy? It doesn't matter. The third one, Viper. climb out of the manhole. Oh, sorry, in, as the uh, Copperhead. It was Copper. Copperhead. Thank you. As the uh, chaos in the streets, right? People are freaking out because of the snake venom. And they're just like, and what like the. F- yeah, yeah, like there's like cars are slammed into buildings. Right. Their things are on fire. And I look, but, they were like, I thought we were just killing people. I didn't know we were doing right. this. Um, but like Cobra has like some sort of dark gun and Copperhead has some sort of like energy weapon. I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, energy. Snake like laser, you know. And then Boom Slang has these shitty little boomerangs shaped like snakes, but they're tiny. Yeah, they're sights. And it's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> 
It's so funny. Uh, this is a buy it. This comment's a blast. It's great. Hi, I'm President Business, president of the Octad Corporation and the world. Let's take extra care to follow the instructions or you'll be put to sleep. And don't forget Taco Tuesday's coming next week. That's the day every rule-following citizen gets a free taco and my love. All right, let's take a step back into the real world, shall we? Something a little bit more realistic than snake-based terrorists and plots to transform the populace. We're talking about Lex Luthor running for president. It's Lex 2000. It's the one shot from DC Comics, the year 2000. It's written by Jeff Loeb and Greg Rucka with art by Various. I'm going to name them here in a minute. The price was $350. And here is a description courtesy of ComicVine.com. Thank you, ComicVine. Lex Luthor's campaign for the White House concludes in the Superman Lex 2000 one-shot. It consists of four short stories written by Jeff Loeb and Greg Rucka. The special shows the buildup to the announcement of Luthor's victory, spoilers, and its effect on his enemies. The stories include a piece by WGBS-TV reporter Cat Grant on Lex's life with art by Tony Harris, Batman warning Luthor that he would always be watching, and demanding the return of the infamous kryptonite ring, with art by Dwayne Turner, a peek at how the Daily Planet handles the news by Doug Menke, Superman taking his rage out on a passing comet by Ed McGinnis. Uh, these are the artists. I think it was a moon. Uh, it was a dead moon of Saturn. Uh, oh, maybe it was a moon. I don't yeah. know. I thought it could have been a comet, could have been a moon. Uh, this is from Comic Line. And a painful heart to heart. I, I added this part. A painful heart to heart between Superman and Lana Lang Ross about how she can support the presidency of the man who once had her brutally tortured. Yeah. Uh, the only artist for a story like that, the cartoony Todd Knock. But that's okay. It's still, it, it still works. Looks good. It still totally it works. works. It does look good. And by the way, uh, Superman's 100% right here. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, well, okay. I'm not it's complicated. With her in this it's one. complicated. What are you doing, girl? <laughs> it's complicated. Uh-huh. Uh, here's, uh, uh, here is uh, another spoiler alert. Lex Luthor becomes president of the United States in this issue. After months of buildup, the unthinkable happens. Lex wins the 2000 presidential election alongside his running mate, Pete Ross, childhood friend of Clark Kent and husband to Lana Lang, Clark's first love. This one shot offers several fun looks at the reaction of those closest to the Man of Steel to Lex's victory, plus a brilliant piece of propaganda telling Lex's story of tragedy and triumph, which is full of whitewashed lies that will stand out to regular Superman readers of the time. They do not actually tell you in the comic that any of the things that the, that the story reports on are lies. But if you had been reading, you would know like, oh, that's oh, yeah. fake. That's fake. The clone he totally in court, made that up. The, the clone in court is mentioned there. <laughs> they yeah, turned out to yes. be an evil clone. I was like, oh my right. God, we just um, read that. Like, <laughs> right. But like they also mentioned like the tragic death of his daughter. Right. His one-year-old daughter, Lena, she didn't die. He traded her to Brainiac yeah. for political power. Oh, the death of his wife, the Contessa, the blah, blah, blah. No, he sent a missile and blew her up in her freaking mansion on the French Riviera. Well, she or wasn't like, the he su- murders her. She wasn't the sweetest lady in the world. No, no. Like, she's also, she was also <laughs> yeah. bad, but she had she's her less bad than Lex Luthor. Yeah. I'm just saying um, file for divorce. You don't necessarily need to blow them up. Right. But know? yeah, like all of these things where it's like, if you had been reading the Superman back, right. you're like, oh, no. Like, it was awesome. Just, he did all of these things to curry favor with the voters, and it totally works. Uh, stories that stood out to me were the Batman Luther stare down, Ugh. the Daily Planet story, and Lana's no nonsense confrontation with Clark. Uh, let's talk about that real quick since um, you had a thought about it. 
in all the way back in Superman number two from 1987, Lex is obsessively searching for Superman's identity. He's got a team of scientists searching for clues. He's got operatives everywhere. And one of them discovers this woman that shows up in the crowd every time Superman has an event. And it's Lana Lang. Like, she's just there. Like, she's following him around like a, like a sad puppy dog. Uh, so the, the head scientist is like, that's the lady. She Look, she's here in every event. And so Lex has her kidnapped and brutally tortured and maybe even raped. Uh, it's unclear, but it's... It's definitely implied. Not, it's not off the table, yeah. Yeah. They, he very rightly thinks that she knows the secret of Superman's identity, uh, which she does not give them. But in a rage, Superman, he tracks down the guys and to find them. And just as Superman arrives at the warehouse where they're holed up, Lex blows up the building and kills them. And then it ends with this great scene where Superman smashes into Lex's office in a blind rage, uh, brilliantly drawn by John Byrne. Uh, and he immediately crumples to his knees. And that is the first appearance of the kryptonite ring. Uh, Lex is like, I've got you. You can't touch me. Right. You I know your weakness. I figured it out. And I might not know who you are. Well, he does it, read the issue. It's so great. It's got such a great ending. But uh, it, Lana goes through this tr- terrible trauma at Lex's hands. And so here she is married to the guy that Lex chose as his running mate. It's this like how like how dare you judge me? Pete's kind of not scene. a bad guy though. Pete's not a bad guy. No. No, 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 not at all. And like, and for the most part, most people at this point in time still believe that Lex is a good guy. Right. The the public, the general the public, public at large, not the know. superheroes. Yeah. Obviously, not Lana and Clark and Lois, but the public. And um, Superman is like, how could you do this? How could you? How could you stand for this? And she's like, how dare you? Don't worry about it. Mind your own business. I know what happened. I know what I went through. And at the end, you were, it's revealed that like, you know, she thinks that maybe Pete being there will help curb some of the things Lex might do. And that maybe whoops, something might happen to Lex while he's in office and then Pete will be president. Yeah. Um, which is kind of like, oh, Lana's going to kill the, uh, the president. How are you going to do that, um, Lana? I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to play anyone down, but. You are just a redhead from Smallville. <laughs> well, a redhead, from, a redhead from Smallville that lives in the White House, or I don't know. I, I guess I don't know where the, no, wh- the vice, vice president doesn't is. live in the White House. They like to keep them separate just in case, you know, a bomb No, I get it. No, off. no, no, I get it. I just thought that they lived in like way different, like, I don't know. I, I, obviously, I got that wrong, but she's probably always there. The art is great throughout, with the exception of Dwayne Turner's work on the Batman story, Ugh. which I did not love. No. I do not love. I do not love Dwayne Turner. He draws but, Batman like Nosferatu. It's uh, yeah, bizarre. It's, it's, not, it's it's just this weird. It's this weird. He's even like, got like long, sharp fingers and stuff. He's it's, got sharp, pointy fingers. Yeah, it's like it's like trying to be Kelly Jones and yeah. Todd McFarlane and Michael Turner and Sam Keith. Like, it's all, but there. not really succeeding at any of them. Yeah. Um. But the other stories, you've got Tony Harris, you've got Doug Mankey, you've got Ed McGinnis. Like, what's not to like? It's, sure, it's sure. really gorgeous. Uh, the entire issue is framed as a special edition of News Time, which was the, like, Newsweek, Time Magazine kind of a stand-in in the uh, DC universe, uh, which uh, it's also got a letter from the editor who 
may or may not secretly have been Lord Satanus at the time. What? That's definitely a plot that happened. <laughs> I did uh, not know that. <laughs> yes. Uh, Colin, Colin Thornton. Not Colin Satan, Thornton. but Lord Satanus. Yeah, no. He, uh, 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 Mephisto is what I initially right. wrote. But yeah, his name is Lord Satanus. Um, and there's also a closing page with reactions from real life celebrities like Margot Kidder, Richard Donner, and quote unquote, local herbivores, Jay and Silent Bob. Adorable. And I have to think that's probably because we were about to get Kevin Smith's Green Arrow. But Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, while this is technically the issue where Lex wins the presidency, it's not exactly an essential part of the story playing out in the main titles. But it is a really great special that takes the time to address the personal impact of Lex's victory. Uh, this was such a fun era for the Superman books. And Lex 2000 is a great addition to it. This is a buy it from me. Yeah. I think it, I thought it was totally fun. The, I remember back in the day when the news came out that Lex was going to be the president, we were all just like, give me a break. And then flash forward to 2016 and, and like looking back at this, we're like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I can totally see this. <laughs> I kind of almost would have rather, like, and like when you look at those stories, like when he's not, when Lex Luthor is not falling prey to his own darker impulses right he's actually not that bad of a president no he's done a, a bunch of great stuff yeah. too to get where he's at so it all makes sense and Loeb does a, an excellent job just in that opening campaign video just framing it all and being like all we got to do is make one little twist here and look he's a hero look at that yep and yeah. it makes perfect sense it's perfectly executed i loved this issue and i loved this time for superman uh, it, this was such a wonderful run that i would like to revisit this is a huge buy it from me as well i i i ended up um kind of checking out some of the issues that surrounded this one shot uh just glancing at them and like they were doing some wild things like um jeff Loeb introduced a character that was basically a comic book version of Otis from the Superman movie. Yeah, yeah. Except they didn't call him Otis no. for some reason. He had a different name. But he was Otis. He was Ned Beatty. He said Mr. Luthor. Well, Warner Brothers like probably owned the rights to Otis and didn't know that they had a, you know, a comic yes, book company. Yes, right, sure, right. <laughs> so, uh, they probably got a then, cease and desist uh, letter and like, we work for you. <laughs> right. But then like Lex Luthor unveils his cabinet and it's Sergeant Rock, well, General Rock. Yeah. Uh, as the joint chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Amanda Waller, Black Lightning as Secretary of Education, Sam Lane as Secretary of Defense, and Cat Grant as president. Like, it's so cool well, to have all of these characters. Cat Grant sure got a promotion. <laughs> she got a big time upgrade. Well, that's because Cat Grant's a shill. Like, she'll do you no, know, she'll I get do it. anything. But it's like story. the only way I really knew Cat Grant was like, she's the entertainment reporter and she's yeah, kind yeah, no, of she's slutty. A, <laughs> you know? Right. But yeah, this is a great time for Superman. Great time. It's time we give back to the country that made us great. I'm Lex Luthor, and I approve this message. While we're on the subject of villains in the White House, let's talk about Doom 2099, number 29 from Marvel. This was 1995, and it was that time for the Marvel 90s. <laughs> this is written by Warren Ellis with art by Pat Broderick. 
2099 Future Doom has decided that Wakanda and the rest of the world is in grave danger from the unchecked corporate greed of the United States. But rather than go to war, he's put together a black cabinet of advisors and an international strike force of Wakandan mercenaries and downtrodden American mutants and a group of net divers who are sort of like yeah, psychic hackers, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a real Johnny Nemana kind of thing. Who all plan to kill the Senate and take over as the new U.S. president in what is essentially a hostile corporate takeover. Of course, it ends with doom in the White House. This is young Warren Ellis looking to impress with his completely overwritten script so full of future jargon that it borders on nonsense at times when he's not making clever apocalypse now references with morphine summers charlie don't surf t-shirt featuring charles xavier he's trying to picture the future of the net with a vr metaverse that facebook would dream of <laughs> broderick's art is very good and he gets extra credit for deciphering what i picture as ellis's script desperately scrawled on cocktail napkins while he poured whiskey down his throat and fired cocaine into his head the book comes off as a nihilistic indictment of u.s capitalism that rings oddly true to a lot of what worries me about today's news but Take it down a notch, Warren. Jesus, man. This was the first 2099 comic that I have read outside of a few issues of Spidey 2099, and I felt like I got older while reading this. I'm giving it a skim it, but you will be exhausted after you're done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, credit where it's due, Ellis did not come up with the idea of this, uh, no. of the internet being like a physical cyber or a, a digital cyberspace kind of like an astral plane, sort of a, a computerized astral plane. Like that was Spidey 2099 did that. And, and in other books, I think Ghost Rider 2099 was heavy into the whole idea of, of the internet becoming this like oh, yeah. weird living space. It was like super cyberpunk where it's like, yeah, what's right. real. What's not mod your brains. So you can live in both places, bro. And like, okay, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, like, so and you read, you read this and it is, it, it's, it's a lot, man. It's a lot, man. man. There's, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. And like walking but, into it is one thing. Cause you're just like, okay, I get it. I, I haven't read a lot of this, so I should feel a little, you know, out of sorts of trying to figure it out. But imagine reading 29 issues of this. <laughs> well, he didn't, he didn't write. The I'm not saying thing. he did, yeah, no. but like, just imagine what it took to get here. <laughs> like, it's oh, true. God. Uh, and and you know, it's, it's got a ton of like, it's got a lot of like the typical Ellis quirks that you would uh, pick up on as a, as a reader of his stuff. Like there's this guy with green hair, this mutant guy in the Charlie don't surf t-shirt that is, it is. He's a Pete Wisdom. He's a Spider Jerusalem. Yeah, he's like he's all those he's things. He's a fill in the blank, right? And he says um, like the, the darkest, most nihilistic crap you've right. ever it's heard. Like surly man. trench coat yeah, wearing, okay, chain smoking weirdo. Yeah, this is before um, Ellis got good at that. This is him just working too hard. He's doing too much. It's that simple. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot, and I, I've heard really good things about this run on uh, on Doom twenty ninety nine. Uh, which was kind of a weird, like, why would they do a Doctor Doom comic? That's yeah, so strange. I don't know. And uh, and it was, uh, it became a critical hit. 
Um, I just have never been able to get into it. And yeah. this one, I, like, I, I, I'm not really interested in going back and, and diving in. This is a skimmit for me. I love Pat Broderick. Pat Broderick's very good. I think he's a, t- he's a fantastic artist. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, he he did a lot of work on the Legion of Superheroes and Firestorm in the eighties. And, and I don't blame I, him I'm for the Morphine fan. Summers Captain design. Adam. I feel like Warren Ellis is like, no, I want Morphine Summers. He has green hair. It stands straight up. He smokes. He's got a weird long British face, and he wears his T-shirt that I think is really smart. You know? Like, yeah. No. No. Yeah. Okay. One hundred percent right. Like he dude was just working with what he was given. Um, but yeah, it's a skimmit. I mean, it's a crazy wild thing. It's like, oh yeah. Dr. Doom just like basically conquers America and they let him. Well, America doesn't have <laughs> so, a choice. He controls everything. Yeah, well, sure. But he like, takes over the net. He kills the Senate. And like now he's yeah. in charge of all the corporate stuff. What are you going to do? Sure, <laughs> like, right. It's over. You put and yourself the, in this position, America. And that that's a hallmark of, of the 2099 thing is like corporations run everything. Right. The Internet's a real place you can go. And um, also... I don't know. The green goblin's a dragon. I yeah. don't know. It's, it's, he's a weird goblin dragon. It's a skimmit. But I am above all a reasonable man. Thus, I have granted your leaders one week to surrender to the rule of doom or suffer total annihilation. Speaking of green dragons, my final review for this week is Savage Dragon number 119. It's from Image Comics. The year was 2004. It's written and drawn by Eric Larson. Uh, there are some backup stories by some other peeps, but I'll mention them here in a minute. Uh, it is $2.95 cover price. Here's your solicit, courtesy of the unending memory of the Diamond Comics retailer system. <laughs> this solicit is still in there from 2004. You want to talk about it a, goes, a bloated application. Oh my God. That yeah, thing's going to be cow. a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, like, consider yourself lucky if you never have to figure out how to search for things in that Whoop. feast. It goes a little something like this. Concept, colon. Found naked in a burning field, the amnesiac green-skinned man who would become the savage dragon was recruited by the Chicago police to help them fight their war on crime. That seems corrupt. Years later, ex-cop Savage Dragon saved the world from a deadly menace from space and a deadlier dictator who had taken control of the Earth itself. I mean, it was a now, Hellboy thing, though. Like, they found him, and he was like, yeah, I'm super tough. I want to help. Yeah, and they, they like, found him right. in a burning... Yeah, like, <laughs> Frank, his friend Frank, who was his yeah. partner, found him in a burning field, and that's where Dragon came from. Now married to the woman he loves, he struggles to rebuild this savage planet. Uh, not mentioned uh, the fact that I believe at this point in time, Savage Dragon had uh, gone to live on a parallel Earth. No, that might be later. That might be later. There's, there's um, no way to know. But, but we did. <laughs> we do. But we went through a crazy uh, Jack Kirby phase where Earth got totally. F- That's why they call it this Savage Planet. But yes, anyway, Savage Dragon. It's a wild ride. This issue, colon, The Running Man, part one, colon, bushwhacked, (laughs) forces are driving the masses to embrace Savage Dragon as their candidate of choice. Things are not right in Washington as the president of the United States spends the few days leading up to the impending election readying the country for war, a war with the superpowered beings that police the very planet. But things are not always what they seem, and the president is in more danger than he or anybody else knows. Plus... We get backup stories, a rock versus Zeke yarn by Eric Larson and Frank Fosco. Uh, um, Also, for some reason not mentioned, there is a, I think it's called Savage Bits or Savage something. It's the little cartoony strips by Chris Giarusso, who did uh, 
mini Marvels. Oh, okay. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And G-Man. Um, but yeah, I love Chris Jerez. I used to love Eric Larson's Savage Dragon, but I dropped the title somewhere between 75 and 100. It just got a little too far away from what I liked about the title and money would have been tight at the time. But despite how I felt about the book's direction, I always admired the way Larson did whatever the hell he wanted and dared readers to keep up. In 2004, he waded deep into the presidential race between W and John Kerry with a sinister looking dude named Ronald Winston Uras. I probably just pronounced Uris. Concocting a scheme to win as a write-in candidate with Dragon as his unwilling running mate. But Dragon has bigger problems at the moment as he tries to find the kidnapped George W. Bush. But if W has been kidnapped, then who's in the White House? Uh Uh-oh. Larson moves at full speed and doesn't hold your hand as he packs every page with a myriad of his comic creations and references to past adventures. Though we do get editor's notes for the past adventures, which I thought was nice. His exaggerated art is full of energy and the colors and letters by Bill Crabtree and the legendary John Workman, respectively, complete the package. Look, Savage Dragon isn't for everyone, and it has changed a lot over the years. I barely recognize it now. It is like it is like a softcore sex romp comedy action. Like it's it's bizarre. But looking back at this era of the series, I remembered what I loved so much about it back then. I'm giving Savage Dragon 119 a buy it, and not just because George W. Bush gets punched in the face. Yeah, I mean it's a fun moment. Sure. So when you say Savage Dragon is not for everybody, Savage Dragon is not for me. And I do not, I'm not going to sit here and bag on the Savage Dragon and I'm not going to bag on Eric, uh, why can't I say his name? Eric Larson. I admire Eric Larson. He's a hardworking artist. He did some very important Spider-Man stuff. The Savage Dragon absolutely has a place in comic book history. That is important. I don't care about it. It doesn't work for me. There's too much going on. I don't yeah, no, it's fair. particularly care for his art. I never even read this deep in the Savage Dragon and reaching back and reading this made me feel good about not doing so. <laughs> I was just like, yep, I, I get it. I don't yeah. care. I don't care. And like when he's trying to be clever, it just like his book, when he's like, when he's trying to be macho, it's overly macho. When he's trying to be sexy, it's overly sexy. When he's trying to be clever, it's way too clever. And, and it just like... None of it worked for me. I'm not going to give it a leave it. I'm not going to do that because I get why people like this. And I understand that he's an acquired taste. I'm giving this a skim it because it's yeah. just the same old silly savage dragon stuff that I just never cared about. I uh, know. I, and I understand that. I totally do. And I like, I, I think Eric Larson's art is kind of a love it or hate it thing. Yeah. I don't know if that, there's a lot is. of middle ground because his art is so, specifically his own right it's not like if you like this artist i would recommend eric larson right uh, there there is nobody nobody no. i can think of that has, i that i would say oh yeah if you really like eric larson you should check out this no his style is too much of his own he's like a mike mignola almost where yeah, it's like i mean i guess you maybe know like, when you see it and you either love it or you don't uh, yeah i mean i guess maybe in tone or something you could you could come up with it but it, it, style wise no he's he's a unicorn yeah and if Savage. I met the guy, I would gush. I would be starstruck and be like, Eric, you, you're so important. And I would never <laughs> yeah. mention any of that. <laughs> but uh, so uh, Savage Dragon 
is essentially like what happens when a guy who spent his entire life making his own comics, even from like being a little kid, actually gets a chance to do it for real. That's what see, and that's what I always felt like. It, like this is written by a fourteen-year-old. <laughs> and, you know? uh, but I mean, and in some cases, it kind of is. Yeah. Like, like Dragon is a character he created when he was very young. Yeah. Um, a lot of these characters that he populated the the universe with are characters he created as a kid that he fleshed out as an adult. Yeah. And it's just like it's like the ultimate comic book fan makes good as a creator. And maybe that's why I latched onto it's it. It's a success I was story a, and, and yeah. it's a great story. And like, I'm, I'm happy for him. It's just not for me. I understand. And, and for everything, uh, for everything good that I can say about it, there's a character that is, um, a spider based character that literally shoots webs out of her ass. Yeah. And there's a or, giant girl with even more giant tatas and like a black right. woman that has a thong and jumps around and you see her butt for, like framed perfectly in every yeah. like you know, uh, you whatever. know, and there's a like and like there's a character. Uh, I, I'm not going to get into too many details, but there are characters based on even more um, personal biological yeah. uh, processes that, uh, you know, are not something you would expect to find in a yeah. comic book about superheroes. But, um, yeah, I get it. It's, it's not for everyone. I get it. It's, it's certainly uh, something you, you kind of have to get in. And he's the first green crime fighting machine. Savage Dragon, don't get in his way. So grab your weapons and get ready to join the team. And with that, we're back to Superman. Let's talk about Action Comics, Volume 2, Number 9 from DC, 2012. This was written by Grant Morrison with art by Gene Ha, and a backup story by Sholly Fish with art by Cully Hamner. Action Comics had just been relaunched for DC's New 52 at this time, with Morrison writing, and this issue took a break from the adventures of the jeans and t-shirt-wearing Superman that was taking on corporate crime, and more of a street-level Superman, if you will, to focus on Calvin Ellis, the Superman of Earth-23, whose secret identity is U.S. President Calvin Ellis. This Superman... This Superman serves to make his world a better place as both a superhero and president of the United States with help from his assistant, Brainiac, who acts as his substitute robot duplicate while he's battling here the ultimate Superman anti-hero monster created by a corporation that bought a different Earth's Clark, Lois, and Jimmy's creation that brings thoughts to life. Stay with me here. It's Grant Morrison, okay? Despite their best intentions... This evil corporation took ownership of their Tulpa technology. You look up Tulpa if you don't know what I'm talking about. But basically, it's uh, the, the occult paranormal idea that you could bring thoughts to life. Like the Slender Man is a Tulpa, if you will. And they create a nightmare Superman that is accidentally... You just went ahead and explained it when you told everybody to Google it. You're right. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. It gets yeah. really, really, really deep. This evil corporation creates the perfect Superman that is infinitely marketable, everything that everyone wants, and it turns out to be a nightmare that is accidentally summoned to Earth-23 by Lex Luthor's harmonic tech that opens portals to the multiverse. That's just a thing that happens to be there, by the way. There's no explanation whatsoever. In the backup, Fish writes a quick story about President Ellis using his powers as Superman to shut down a secret Quiraki nuclear program. It's wonderful. 
Morrison's new 52 action run was all over the place. And I feel really bad for Dan Jurgens, who was writing Superman at the time and just trying to keep up. But there are some definite high points in this run. And Calvin Ellis, who Morrison modeled after Barack Obama, was one of those high points. There is so much weirdness here with the idea of the harmonics of the universe, the evil super tulpa created by mega corporations. It's it's truly Kirby-esque, but at its heart, the story shows a profound understanding of Superman's character and embraces all the sci-fi lunacy that we've come to love in his adventures. Gene Ha is wonderful on art. He's one of my favorite artists. I would love to see more of him on any Superman title. I would really love to see him and Morrison hit this character again. The idea of a super president is just cheesy enough for this creative team to pull off. And Fish and Hamner do a fantastic job showing us his foreign policy in action in the backup story. I don't know if I read this and forgot about it or was so confused and sort of angry at the new 52 back in the day that I refused to pick this issue up. But this was an excellent read and i may have to revisit morrison's action run i literally remember none of it i'm giving this a buy it Grant morrison was a bright point in the new 52 their their work was uh different but also it wasn't bogged down with um the trappings that uh that the rest of the creators involved in redesigning the DC universe were stuck in like this late nineties image kind yeah. of, you know, let's give everybody V neck collars and it definitely seemed like an edict armor. came down from editorial and like, this is what it looks like. This is what we're going. This is what we're working towards. And Grant Morrison went, I'm not doing that. Like, Oh no, no, I know you Grant. You could do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. And like Grant, so Grant had already had a really successful run on Batman and Batman Incorporated and Batman and Robin. And when the new 52 launched, they stuck around and it was, Great. Uh, it's not. It's not the history that I want for Superman. This this T-shirt and jeans, Superman. Yeah. But we're looking back at it now that it's over, and you know the things that I love have been restored. Whatever, whatever. Um, I can recognize it for what it was. Right. Um, this particular issue, though, is a great diversion. Um, all of this, this Grant Morrison's pet ideas about like. I'm going to create a comic book where the character becomes real due to the belief of the... That's classic Grant Morrison nonsense, this whole idea about thoughts coming to life. It's also super meta, though, in the sense where they're like, okay, so you want me to recreate Superman for the new 52? All right, here's what happens when we keep recreating Superman. Here's where it goes. We end up with this awful nightmare that is so far from the original yeah. superman you know well and he's uh i mean and like if you look at this uh, you, it might um i think morrison would repackage this design not necessarily this design but this logo if you look at this character's logo yeah um 
It is a swastika. It's Basically. definitely a swastika. It's like an S, but there's just a little it's too much going on with it. <laughs> S, it's an S for a swastika. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, they call him, I believe they call him Optiman. Yeah. But um, in other versions, he is known as Overman, and Overman is the Nazi Superman. Full on. Um, and so Morrison would like bring- of what yeah. they, you know, they originally uh, created yes. Superman for. Exactly. <laughs> and, and Morrison would bring this character back again and again um we we see him in multiversity um and not to be confused with the earth three overman who is not a nazi he's just a jerk um but yeah it's uh i i love it i love this issue i love that run it, it's the it's all of these ideas that i know morrison was so passionate about back then for all of the bad blood caused by the new 52 for some readers like myself and matt and for all of the um, shit we gave DC for, like, not letting things have a chance, like, they canceled books so fast in the new at the dawn of the new. Oh, 52. yeah. There were books that made it four issues. And um, but they let Morrison. And, and I, I know money talks. I'm not naive. Yeah, come but on. They let Morrison run wild. But it's, it was Grant Morrison and he had already and won. The book sold. With, the book was selling. The book sold. It's just and a, Batman it's just a was shame. already a massive hit. Yeah. So. It's just a shame that some of the other books that were also doing some fun ideas didn't get the same kind of support from the readers. But yeah. this is a buy it. Um, of course, Gene Ha, Cully Hamner, they can do no wrong. I love them. I love them. I love them. Um, but yeah, fun issue. And you don't really need to know anything about um, what's going on in Superman at the time to no. read it. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. Also, we want to know what you thought about these comics, our reviews, or anything that you read this week on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it on Saturdays on Facebook Live from 11 to noon Central Time. But before we leave the Oval Office here, Joe Patrick, we need to tally the votes and decide which of these comics gets to live on as president for life in the THN permanent oh, no. collection. President for life. I don't know about the, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to commit oh, to that. Oh, democracy's already dead. <laughs> don't act like it's uh, not. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to give it to action comics. Uh, it's not that I didn't love the other books that I read, uh, but action comics, I think is a special kind of standout. Yeah. Uh, amongst these other these other items well and it's just like making this other superman from another world the president it's like one little thing that that's what grant morrison's so good at like taking an idea and just doing one little thing to it and you go oh shit grant morrison i see you working like god that's good (laughs) you know yeah Yeah, like this certainly isn't the first time i've read a story where superman becomes the president like there there's an else worlds about it uh but um but yeah this this uh, taking this, uh, taking taking the idea of Superman as president, but making him a completely different character, yeah, and also a black man, and also probably better at his job. Like he's a little I better see. at his job than Superman than we know. Yeah, I, I mean, and like, hey, look, and if you like this comic, President Superman—that's not what they call him, but I love to call him President Superman. Uh, is currently uh, front and center in the uh, Infinite Frontier Justice League Incarnate there uh, also, stuff going on right now. There also may be a movie in development starring, well, may, uh, it's, it's a black see, Clark, and I heard, Clark Kent. It's not Calvin Ellis. I thought that it might be the uh, the Val Zod version, I believe is his name. 
And that is the Earth. That is the new 52 version of the Earth 2 Superman. No, it's Clark Kent is what it's just they're doing. Clark Kent. What if he was a black guy? Oh, see, and I had heard different. I heard that it wasn't Kal-El. So. DC won't do that. They they know where their their bread is buttered. Come on. You you think DC is going to make a movie about black Superman and not have it be a different character? Yeah. I think if they made a movie about Superman and said, no, 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 but it's not Clark Kent. How good would that look to the public? You and I understand there's been lots of different Supermans, but you know who doesn't? Everyone oh, well, else sure, in the world but, that doesn't read Superman. <laughs> but those people are already going to be pissed off that he's black. So. No, only half the population be pissed off that he's black. They don't want to piss off the other half, too. That's the <laughs> that, that want him to be kal Yes. All right. Well, time will tell. It's all rumors. After some deep political comic book discourse, Matt and I like to loosen our ties, pour ourselves a bourbon, and kick up our feet in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we can rap about something a little less controversial, like our must-read picks for next Wednesday, February 23rd. Matt, you remember when comic books weren't political, like next Wednesday? Tell me about it. That's why I picked The Killer Affairs of State, number one. Wait a minute. Which may be The Killer colon affairs of state i'm not totally solid on that one so this is from boom archaia it's 4.99 it's written by mats with art by luke yakamon i'm gonna say and cover by young yoon yoon here's your solicit the eisner no way i did that kudos to you great job though you went for it i went for it the eisner nominated series returns ahead of the upcoming david fincher netflix film Caught and put to work as an on-call assassin for the French government, Killer has to adjust to working with a handler, a partner, and living life as a civilian. An underhanded target, a City Hall employee leads Killer and his partner, Nicholas, towards a sinister web of citywide corruption. Because while Nicholas assures Killer that it's all for the greater good, will Killer ever be able to get back to his nihilistic lifestyle, free from debt and government associations? Discover the Eisner Award-nominated series by those people... I read before and don't want to butcher their names again, who worked on the black, the black Dahlia ahead of the upcoming Netflix film directed by. Yeah, 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 yeah. We get it. We all know who David Fincher is. I remember this being. Uh, so I'm going to say that it is the killer colon. I think so. Yeah. Cause if you look at the cover, the killer is really big. And then under it, cause it if says, they call it, if they're calling it the return, uh, the return of the Eisner nominated series, the series was not called the killer affairs of state. Right. I recall this being up for an Eisner and Netflix saying, we're making a movie out of this. And it was a while ago. And I went, I want to check that out. So now I don't have an excuse. I'm checking it out next week. The art looks amazing. I do believe this is a French comic book that has been translated. Oh, the killer. Yes. yes. I remember this. Yes, 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 yes. This was very, very critically acclaimed. Yeah. People freaked out about this. So. Ah, I remember the, I remember the buzz about this. Yes. So next week is your chance to check out the new one before the movie. The killer. It was, I believe, uh, in the, it, in the States, it was put out from humanoids. Um, but you are correct. It, it was not, it did not originate here in America. It was it, uh, it originated in, uh, Europe. Europa. Sorry, that was offensive. Deeply. My pick for next week is Ghost Rider number one from Marvel. I I just I can't help it. A I'm good old it. American comic, right, Joe? I, just, I can't. <laughs> no, that's not it. I every time there's a Ghost Rider comic, I'm like, maybe this is the one. 
maybe this is the one. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing it for bin. years too. <laughs> I know. It, and, and it's not, it's not even like I hated the last ghost writer. No. The one where Johnny blaze is in charge of hell and Danny Ke- He's trying to get Danny catch to work. I, him and Danny like, is like, Fuck off. I feel like I get four or five, maybe six issues deep. And I go, yeah, ah, I'm no, good. totally. Thanks. Exactly. Right. 100%. <laughs> uh, this one's written by Benjamin Percy with art by Corey Smith. Uh, the price is five ninety nine, but as it will mention here, it is an extra sized issue. Here's your solicit. Johnny Blaze. Johnny Blaze has the perfect life, a wife and two kids, a job at an auto repair shop and a small town community that supports him. Dot, dot, dot. But Johnny isn't doing well. He has nightmares of monsters when he sleeps and he sees bloody visions when he's awake. This life is beginning to feel like a prison and there is a spirit in him that's begging to break out. Uh, Ben Percy writer of Wolverine and X-Force and Corey Smith, artist of Conan the Barbarian and Captain Marvel, are going back to basics with the spirit of vengeance in this extra-sized first issue. Look, guys, the Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider was not the spirit of vengeance, but okay, let's, we'll go back to basics. I think, he did, no, I think he did become the spirit of no, vengeance. No, Zarathos was not the spirit of vengeance. He was... They, they ultimately revealed that the, the demon that possessed Johnny Blaze was named Zarathos, and oh, he was just yeah, a yeah, demon. Yeah. He You're was right. a shitbag. You're right. Um, now, Johnny, like, they've made Ghost Rider the Spirit of Vengeance a billion times. Like, like it's all anybody really remembers about Ghost Rider. He's the Spirit of Vengeance. Yeah, I don't care about, I really don't care about the demon in the Zarathos. Whatever, yeah, yeah, who cares? Like, um, yeah, back to basics, fine. You know, that's kind of what I need from a good Ghost Rider book. I don't need, like, now he's in charge of hell. Well, that's fun, but why? You know, why are we still doing this? Like, just give me this story about Johnny blaze. I, I don't know if it's a reboot or if maybe he's like kind of forgotten his old life or whatever, or like mystic, like he's mystically living this happy life when or in reality, better yet tortured soul. I don't care. <laughs> like just, just kind reset of, yeah. it. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, you're not and, wiping and, away any ghostwriter continuity that I'm going to be like, well, wait a minute. Right. What, what about, about when Vegas met, turned into the, hell? What about and, the time he met Jesus? Right. Yeah. I like. Uh, it. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> no. You're right. Um, I, I think Benjamin Percy is a good choice. I'm really enjoying his current work at Marvel. Yeah. And uh, his Wolverine see. is I, great, I, and I think his Wolverine did something similar where it's sort of like let's just boil this character down to what he is and, and right. what he does great. Yeah. Now right. you're going to say, Matt, I'm reading the lives and deaths of Wolverine. What are you? talking about i feel like you're get, talking about it in the main wolverine uh, yeah but i do feel like no, he'll get, get there with those series as well even though the lives of wolverine almost has nothing to do with the character <laughs> so uh, well i mean this Barbie, the deaths issue. the deaths of wolverine I, it's all one big story man it's i know i story. know uh but no i'm loving that too by the way i read this week's issue of i the like it too x, x lives of wolverine and it is not looking good for the old knucklehead <laughs> no it really isn't the THN Trade of the Week goes to Parasomnia, the trade paperback, volume one from Dark Horse Comics. It's 1999. It's written by Cullen Bunn with art by Andrea Moody. Here's your solicit. After his son disappears, a broken down man braves a nightmare dreamscape in order to find him and battle the ruthless cult that seeks to rule the land of dreams as the barrier between realities starts to collapse. This collects the four issue miniseries. Joe Patrick reviewed issue one of this on THN 626 way back July 1st, 2021 million years ago. This was a great book. And this was Andrea Moody coming into that sort of watercolor style that he's been doing. That wasn't even a year ago. Yeah, I know. I was kidding. 
No, no, I, I think I, I think I maybe was confusing it with an older book. But oh, carry on. This was Andrea Moody coming into that watercolor style that he's doing right now on books like Maniac of New York. That is just stunningly amazing. I love. Oh right, this right, 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 right. This is the one where they the guy's like in the nightmare realm and yeah. it's like old timey. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's just what it made for Cullen Bunn. Perfect. This is great. Yes, stuff. I did really like this. If you like good Cullen Bunn horror and you like beautiful art, pick this up. You can find our picks of the week every Wednesday on Twitter and Facebook, but you're probably reading something great too. Be sure to let us know right there on our post so we don't miss anything good. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 654. Next week, we are back to new comic reviews from Wednesdays 216 and 223. And we'll give you a sneak peek of our Patreon Extra where we're playing Ask a Nerd, a friend of ours nanny who would like to remain uh, anonymous for now. We're, we're working on her. We're trying to get her to call in, but she's... I don't understand. She doesn't want to call in because she's ashamed to call in? I don't know. She doesn't want to get ID'd. Low. She's laying low. We're going to respect that. But she uh-huh. asks... This is some deep stuff, too. Was pre-crisis Dick Grayson better than post-crisis Dick Grayson? I don't even and know how you can even debate that. I anyway, know, we'll talk about, about it. Week. And are Dick Grayson's effect on Bloodhaven better than Bruce's on Gotham? Oh my God! I Again, I love this. Look, <laughs> we have we have many thoughts about this mystery lady. I love this. Oh, I'm sorry. Her name is Mystery Nanny. Yes, Mystery Nanny. And we are going to discuss it, and I am excited because I have thoughts about Dick Grayson. This yes. is a great one. If you want to rap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show. I just talked about it. We do it on Saturdays. It's cover to cover. You know how this works. And don't forget, if you're looking for something to talk about, but you're like, I don't know, what do I call in and talk about? We've always got the question of the week. Joe Patrick. Yeah, that's right. As usual, I cannot remember what we asked these nerds. Can you please reset it? <laughs> Uh, this week's question came from Franco-American Cirillo. Uh, he wants to know, what is your own personal golden age for comic books? So the era of comics that embodies your love of them, uh, the con- the era that made you a fan, that made you the kind of fan or even the kind of person that you are. Yeah, I would um, say this could be as wide or as narrow age. as you would like, too. It doesn't have to be like, oh, this... It would be technically 1968 through 1970. It could be one year. You could be like, you know what? In 1985. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, your your personal, yeah, yeah, your personal golden age. You don't have to like pick the act. Like my golden age is the silver age. No, no. no. You narrow it's it down a, the to year a, that a, Dark an era that, that the year that Dark yeah. Knight Returns and Watchmen came out. My head blew up, you know, and that was boom, the yeah. best year we've ever had. Um, but what we're not looking for is like, oh yes, I remember it well. It was the Hellfire Club saga and Uncanny. No, no, no. We're not talking about the storyline. We're talking about the era of comics. So uh, comics as a whole from that time period that kind of shaped your love of the medium. Totally. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We do this uh, every week uh, if we can. If you want to play along with Cover to Cover Live, you can join our Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline, the THN hotline. I'm sorry. I did I did it dirty by not using its full name. 402-819-4894. And you could be internet famous. If you're going to leave a message or send in an MP3, Please keep it to two minutes or less because we've got a lot of live callers and we need to share the air. 
If you're new to this show and you'd rather strip down to your underpants and fight Captain America than listen to any more, I assure you it is only because you haven't heard enough. The good yeah, news is... that's a good one. You can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of our newest patron. That is not true. It's technically true. Really? No kidding. Yes. So JD got to catch just started paying for this crap. Uh, JD got it. Well, first of all, I'm a little pump, shocked. Okay. First of and all, I'm pump not the brakes. Anybody has JD, to pay, but JD, come on, man. First of all, pump the brakes. We use JD for a lot of free work on that this is, show. That is neither here nor there. They yeah. sign the contract uh, and say, "I will work for nothing and live in a sex kennel," That's and also pay deal. you for the privilege of it. Right. No, uh, but uh, JD was a patron. He was a, an early adopter. He was a patron. But things happen, and Ow. he had to he had to cut back. He's back, and we get that. Yeah. Not a problem. He's back. He oh. he's he did it right. He, All like, right. he took a break, and now he's back. Now he's so, rolling in dough. If you hey, like what you hear, JD got a catch. Welcome aboard. You get a second welcome aboard. There we go. If you're rolling in dough like JD got a catch, and you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron over at patreoncom backslash nerd. We do all kinds of exclusive content. This month, we are working on uh, another Slack issues, The Fall of the Mutants, Volume yeah, 1. Buddy. And this might end up a four-part Slack issues I'm not adventure. I, we I'm do not, all I, I'm not, four. I can't. I can't do it. I don't mean Good this God. month. I mean next month. We like we do volume two. All right, or down the line, we we're like now we're back to that series, volume three. So it becomes like a series thing. How many volumes are there? Four. <laughs> no, why? Yeah. How can that be? It's because there's like sixty issues of it, Joe. It's nuts. <laughs> it's so good though. Or you could just make a one-time donation via PayPal because maybe you don't want us to have to buy that trade paperback again and just be like, you know what? Here's 24 bucks. I dug it. I will pay you not to do this shit. (laughs) That would be great. Thank you. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Ivan Reitman, legendary Hollywood producer and director of so many cultural touchstones of our childhood, like Stripes, uh, meatballs and of course Ghostbusters. I don't know why I included Meatballs and not Animal House. Maybe it's just because he produced Animal House and didn't direct it. But yeah. I still think he gets credit. I was getting Meatballs is definitely on there. Oh my god, I love that. Well, movie. sure, but like uh, of all the things, like of all the, his- the things sure. that will be remembered by history, I think Animal House is probably higher in the probably. list. Probably. Uh, Reitman passed away peacefully in his sleep at home on February twelfth at the age of seventy-five, which. Seems young to die of natural causes, but we're glad to hear that it was he was in peace and surrounded by the people that yeah. loved him. Word to you, Mr. Reitman, and thank you uh, for everything. Like, no joke, Ghostbusters is in my top five favorite films of oh, all yeah. time. Oh, yeah, cultural I, it's, touchstone. Come on, man. It, yeah, I, I Ghostbusters, uh, yeah, it's, it's shaped me as a human being, so appreciate it. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just cross the streams and force them into total protonic reversal. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.